0: Nelson Mandela had so much compassion for his brothers and sisters.
1: People don't realize it's about the Beatles, but they knew they were brilliant. One story in every human being that defines who you are. Do
0: we film on a volcano that's just about to explode?
1: I mean, I think there's something about chaos, right? It Either, either you run from it or you run towards it. And for me, there was really this instance of wanting to run towards it.
2: So our guest today on Great Minds is... Horace Panther. And uh, I've been lucky enough to have seen Horace play on stage as a founding member of the specials and and has been uh, an incredible performer and is now in an ongoing chapter uh, doing incredible work in the art space, which we're going to talk on also. So, Horace, thanks for being here.
1: Yes, nice to be here.
2: Great. So, Horace, I, I, I want to talk about early days and, you know, go back to Lanchester Polytechnic and talk about uh, that time period, but I'd love to start with General Public, a band that you were in with uh, Dave Wakeling and someone I knew also uh, who left us last year, Ranking Roger.
1: Mm. Yeah, General Public was great fun. I, I really enjoyed it. and I think we did a lot lot of work in America. We didn't mean a great deal in England. Because the English beat were this close, you know, in like 1983, to to breaking it in the States. And then the band split, um, and Dave and Roger went off to do general public. And then um, David Steele and Andy Cox just sort of bided their time. And um, there was always this kind of rivalry between sort of uh, Wakeling and, and and Steele, I think. Um, but, but but yeah, General Public was a, was a lot of fun, a lot of fun.
2: And Ranking Roger was just an incredible performer.
1: Yeah, he um he he kind of like never did a day. He never had a real job ever. He was like sort of sixteen, I think, when he joined the beat, like fresh out of school, and um and and um. Yeah, music was obviously his his life. But yeah, as a performer, he was he he was fantastic. Because I worked with him. It's I, I've figured this. Uh, I've worked with Ranking Roger longer than I worked with Jerry Dammers. You know, because um, I worked um, I worked with Roger in General Public, which was like well, I joined sort of like eighty three right through till eighty seven, and then after General Public split up, I carried on working with Roger for his solo project, Radical Departure, and then that finished sort of like 88, 89. But then in 1990 and 91, um, we worked together again in Special Beat. So, you know, sort of, we, we go way back, yeah. yeah.
2: Amazing. And, uh, you know, the first time the English Beat came to the States, they played the Ritz. Now it's Webster Hall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Horace, I don't remember how, because this was literally 40 years ago.
1: Was this general public? Yeah, uh, this Beast?
2: was the English Beat—the first time they came to America, and I was probably 15. I'm 56 now, and I interviewed Ranking Roger for our high school newspaper.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: You know, these days you get in touch with the internet. Then we—I don't know how it happened, but I know it did happen. And uh, then we reunited a couple of years ago. They, his band, uh, the Beat, was playing in a, the Court Theater in Tring. Right. Right. And, and we reunited backstage and his son was in the band. And, you know, yeah. he, he uh, it was a brilliant. then sadly he left us last year.
1: Mm.
2: Yes, it mm. was, a, it was
1: a real show. I mean, he was the youngest of all of us, you know, it's got to, it's really, it's really, it was really tragic. Yeah. I
0: think every night when I come off stage and I'm wiping myself with a towel, all the sweat shows how hard you've worked. And you should be proud of that. You know, that you still got it. You still got the energy, you still can. I knew from the age of 13, that I was going to be either a a musician or an actor. I knew I was going to be in the entertainment industry anyway, and um, it tended to uh, lead towards music, influenced by the kind of music what I was listening to at the time, which was a mix, really. At first, you know, we started off with the Calypso, what our parents, you know, brought over with them from the Caribbean. Then we started hearing reggae and rasta music, which is very cultural and very rootsy and educational in its own way teaching us about black history and stuff like that um, and then I got introduced to punk, I was like wow what's this this is great, you know this is you know different so that you're ready, and, and so that you're ready to dance but here you come the musical team. keep you rocking and swing so all you gotta do is keep on coming to me I'm going to start rocking and straight away down there
2: so let's go back to um, to Lanchester Polytechnic and you and Jerry Dammers. Right. And you meet in school, and tell us about that. Do you remember that first meeting, the first conversations?
1: The first time I met him was like when his. Cause I was a year above him. I started in seventy two. He started in seventy three. So seventy three. It's like, and there's all these new guys, all sort of sitting around, looking sort of sheepish and like wondering, well, what do we do now? And I went over, hit to to him. I remember him. And he was sitting by all these sort of paintings and drawings. And um, I tried to engage him in conversation about these paintings and drawings. And he wasn't very forthcoming. And I, and, um, I, I wondered why. And he looked up and he says, well, they're not my drawings. <laughs> so so I, 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 don't, I don't suppose he remembers that, but I do. Um, but then I, I remember him. He would um, look very much like a sort of Rod Stewart, like typical Rod Stewart with like kind of mutton chop sideboard burns and sort of that sort of pineapple kind of hair. And um, he wasn't like a, a, a skinhead, but he wasn't a mod either. But he wasn't like hippies like like we were. We were all long haired people. Um, and then he... he he because I, I was in by then I was in the college band and he we used to rehearse in in one of the rooms in the college, and a couple of times his sort of head would pop round the door and i and I'd recognize him um, and so I didn't know that he played an instrument but but they obviously knew that that, that i did and then um he asked me um, and my my drummer friend from the college band to to play on some music that he had um he he had written because he he made um he made cartoons um, animated um, stuff and um so we we spent an afternoon playing music with him trying to record this uh, this tune which was like the soundtrack to one of his um his his cartoons so that was the first time that I I'd, I'd played music with him which would have been in 1974 yeah possibly 74 possibly 75 and
2: and that phenomenon then the birth of two tone records That was really, in a way, at odds with what was going on, you know, politically and socially at the time. You guys were, you know, building bridges when not a lot of people were.
1: Um, The bridges, as far as we are concerned, were were already built. You know, I mean, for us, it was no big deal. I remember Dave Wakeling telling this story that some sort of journalist came up to him. And, and said, this is a great political statement you're making, Dave, having you know this, this black drummer in the band. And, and, and they look around at this guy and say, well, he got the, the gig because he was a good drummer.
2: The
0: specials brought it all together. Instead of black and white bands on the same bill, there were black and white musicians in the same band. An informal collective of young musicians, keener on dancing than marching, but just as eager to reject a racist future. <laughs>
1: Here you had this whole generation of kids, black and white kids who'd grown up side by side in schools and listening to each other's music. And I mean, Two Tone, as far as I'm concerned, was an experiment waiting to happen. (laughs) (laughs) We just wanted to make really good music and we liked reggae and we liked soul and it was just sort of an extension of that soul music scene where you, you played with like-minded musicians, irrespective of, of, of skin color. I think, obviously, I'm not, I'm not decrying um, you know, race problems in England in the 70s, by any means, but I think in terms of, of the specials, you know, music has always been like a, a binding you know, or a, a unifying factor. Uh, the first uh, black guy, or the two first black people I ever spoke to in my life were Limbaugh Golding, and um, our original drummer, Silverton Hutchinson, um, because I, I was in art school. You know, black people didn't go to art school in the 70s. You know, um, I, and I came from a sort of a middle class you know, grammar school background. You know, I, I think I, there were there were some a couple of Asian kids at college, but that was about it, really. And, you know, everybody who I ever sort of communicated with were were were, were, were white. So the, the first black people I ever spoke to were, were you know, and I, and that was when I was. Must have been, I was like 24, 25 years
2: old. One would say that there was clearly a conspiracy against blacks in this country, because in all parts of, of this country that you look, you're looking at, at Brook Grove in London, or Brixton in London, or Moss Side in Manchester, or Handsworth in Birmingham, in all the parts that you look at, it's clear that the state at top national level and certainly at local level the state has moved to manipulate blacks in any way that it's wanted to in this area this used to be called in those days brown town because a lot of black people had settled in this area uh, most of those people
1: when the special started it was this it, we we wanted to play a, a kind of a, a combination music of like white influences and black influences so we some of this, this kind of funky reggae and but then punk songs because we loved punk I so that mean that's kind of the impetus I think for starting the band. So we did this, and then um, it was all very well, but it, it wasn't cohesive, it didn't sort of work together. We play a punk song, then we play a reggae song, then we play a punk song, then we play another reggae song. So it kind of there were like two different bands on stage, and it didn't really work. And then one day Jerry came along with this um Prince of the with a Prince Buster album and said, Okay, this is what we're gonna do. And we we put this on, and it was scarf.
0: It's good to be wise
1: when you're young. It made perfect sense. I think that was the big unifying factor because then we could play all our punk songs slower and our reggae songs faster. Um, but they still had that dance ability. Silverton, our original drummer, wasn't keen at all. Um, in fact, he quit. um but then Brad came along and 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 then it it started to work because he he his drumming. He could play really good reggae, but he could play soul and he could, um, um, and it just became different, but it started to become the specials somehow. Um, and the first thing that Brad ever did with us, um, apart from some rehearsals, was record gangsters. and um, And the rest is hysteria, yeah.
2: And talk about those early days of touring. You're all young kids. You're out on the road. Uh, You know, it must have been tremendously exciting.
1: Yes, it was incredible. It was what I thought a pop group was, you know, going to be like when I was 12. And um, I'd I'd read um, Journey Through America with the Rolling Stones by Robert Greenfield. And um, I was looking forward to all that debauchery and yes, it lived up to its expectations. Yeah. no, it, it was it was incredible. It was incredibly exciting. You know, I I discovered adrenaline. You know, well, I think we I think I kind of in I I discovered that a couple of years before. But but this was this was an, This was like nothing. A Specials performance was just total chaos, but utter joy. I don't know. It's, I haven't experienced anything like it since. To
0: be Bonsoir, voici la retransmission du premier concert gratuit de la saison avec ce soir les specials et in a circle. On a plus de 400 invités en studio, et je suis sûr que l'ambiance va être jeune et dynamique. Alors, qu'est-ce qu'on pourrait dire des specials? Oh.
2: And, and the fans especially, and I was down with them at the Olympia in Liverpool, there is an utter joy to it, what's going on on the floor right in front of you. And it's, yeah. not, it's not like anything else.
1: Right, right. I mean, I, I, I've never been down there, but I just know that, where I am. Where I am you know? Yeah, no, yeah. Stay,
2: stay where you are. You're much safer up there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great.
2: And what about um, your first time coming to the States? That must have been very exciting.
1: It was. I was so looking forward to it because everything that I, um, all my heroes were American. You know, like um, I, I'd read, I'd done all that sort of. You know, I read, I'd read Kerouac when I was seventeen. Um, I, I loved the, the the art of the abstract expressionists. You know, Mark Rothko, um, Kenneth Nolan, and all that, and Jasper Johns. Um, I loved blues. You know. Muddy Waters, Howling Wolf um, and Stax Atlantic, you know, Booker T and the MGs, Tamla Motown. So all that American stuff was just was just great. Plus, the, all, all English kids would watch, you know, Laramie and Bonanza and the Lone Ranger. So America held this kind of mythical um, place. In, in, in British, well we did, did for me anyway, so it, it was amazing it, it, it was really good and it was back to the clubs which I, I, I quite liked as well, I've always liked playing a small event, not that I don't like playing big venues, but I, I, I really like playing, you know, the clubs where you can see the whites of the customer's eyes you know, it's, it's, it's always good for me, so, so we did that yeah, and, um, I, and I think in truth it broke the band because the schedule was just so um, was so hectic, because we we made that first record, we'd gone on this like forty plus date tour in England, had like a day off. Um, and then after Christmas, we'd gone to Europe for two weeks. You know, and then had a day. Oh, and we'd all caught flu. Had a day off. Then went to America, which lasted for six weeks. So by the time we sort of we got to I don't know, sort of Vancouver or something, we we we, we were all we all had flu. We were all really ill. Um, and um, adrenaline can only work for so long, you know, um, until stimulants take over, um, which but it but but it was it was very exciting and again we played some wonderfully exciting shows and
2: you know you hear this a lot about young bands that they literally work themselves you know into the ground
1: yeah well you're, you're immortal, aren't, you, aren't you when you're twenty five 26? you know you can do anything you can leap tall buildings with a building single bound and walk on water and, and everything because that that 's the sort of the and that's the, the great sort of aphrodisiac power of, of, of rock and roll. It, it was fantastic. It, it was great. And then it wasn't.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then it wasn't. Yeah. So any gigs that you remember looking back in that first tour of America that was city that was memorable or an audience or a performance that when you, you know, reflect on it, that comes to mind?
1: Um, we spent oh, the first we did we did a gig we did a gig in New York. We played in New York, but then we went down to New Orleans and we did like a week of shows with the police. Um they were doing secondary markets. So we were scheduled to play in Norman, Oklahoma, right? And um for some reason the police didn't play, they weren't gonna play. Um I'm not sure if somebody was ill, or or, I'm not sure, but it's like, well, beings we're here, we'll play instead. So it's like, ladies and gentlemen of Norman, Oklahoma, you're expecting the police, but now here's a band you've never heard of that don't play rock and roll from England called The Specials. And it was great.
2: as as any band i know the bass and what you do drives an awful lot of the music
1: well yeah well that's the thing with with reggae isn't it the the the, um reggae is kind of i i always describe it as african drumming but on western instruments you know every you know people used to come up to me and brad and say hey you guys are such, such a great rhythm section and i'm like well actually it's it's the specials Everyone's the rhythm section, you know what I mean. All those instruments all sort of gel together, but it's the bass that holds the whole thing. That sort of like dictates the melody and holds the the whole thing together. And credit where credit's due. It was Jerry Dammers who wrote the majority of those bass lines. Bless him, you know. I did a a few, and yeah, and I'm the guy who played them. But most of them were were created by 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 him. You know, uh, all 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 due respect.
2: Yeah. No, he uh, an amazing visionary and. And then in 1981, it all ends.
1: Okay, so it was um, it was the Specials. Then um, a couple of years not doing any music at all. Then I joined General Public. And I was in general public from 83 through till, when did that split? 87, I think. And then I worked with Ranking Roger for the next couple of years, 90 and 91. I was in Special Beat. Special Beat, Mike. right. Which I did see in New York. You did a tour of the States and I saw that show. Yeah, we did two fabulous tours in America, Um 1991. Uh, that, like, that was great. That was me and Brad and Neville from the specials, Ranking Roger. And, um, with, with sort of various other musicians to sort of to flesh the thing out and it was basically a show band we played beat songs and um special songs to americans and um and because by that time you know Scar was really starting to take off you know you'd had operation ivy and rancid uh, the toasters were out uh, the mighty mighty boss tones were playing so there was this sort of um it was still quite underground but it was it was definitely happening The Untouchable. Yeah, Yeah, the
2: Untouchable. Free yourself. What a great song. And and that whole time, you art was always such a part of your life. And and I love that you worked with kids at the Corley Special School.
1: That's right. Um, Well, ninety two. It was kind of like I I I thought perhaps because my son was born in eighty seven. And I, and I thought perhaps it was time to get that um, the, the responsible job that my parents always wanted me to get. So I, I used the degree that I had in, in the 70s to um, qualify as a primary school teacher. I took a, a, a teacher's training course and I qualified as a primary school teacher. But that, um, but I ended up working in a, um, a school for children with special needs Um just as a, an educational assistant with this one particular child. Um, and when the art teacher, who wasn't really the art teacher, um, who was really the PE teacher but did art because nobody else would, when she found out that I had a degree in art, it was like, come here, young man, you can do this. And before I knew it, I was um, I, I was the art teacher. It was only a small school. It was only like sort of 72 children on roll. But it was great fun. It was, was was really good. But that made me think a lot about how I... Um, could sell basically sell art to children who had sort of quite low self esteem and perhaps weren't very good at writing or reading, but could still achieve through drawing um, and painting, and it was it was great fun. I really enjoyed that. I did that from nineteen ninety eight through till yeah through till two thousand eight, nearly ten years. Yeah. Wow, fantastic! And but that, that was like it was and all of a sudden. Out from out of nowhere, once a month, this in, this amount of money would appear in my bank account. Which you know, when you're, self, when you're self-employed as a musician, you know it, that it was it was amazing. It was a real sort of stable time, and, and we we bought a really nice house in Coventry, um, and then um, and then I got the call from Limbo. And, but that must have been incredible, uh,
2: incredibly rewarding for you to work with young people with special needs.
1: I always, I always say that um, 20 years of working with musicians was very good training for working with children.
2: <laughs> okay. And then you hinted at it, but you say the phone rings and Linval's calling.
1: Yes, it was just like the, the Blues Brothers, you know, the band. Um, I'd been approached a few years before then, at the 25th anniversary. And at that time, I'd just got my feet under the table at this school. And I was sort of like forging this this uh, you know a professional career as an art teacher so I really didn't want to throw it up back then but um there um, um, the, it just seemed like it could be a, a quite a good idea so um we all went down to London we all met for the first the first time we'd all met together um, in like I think in twenty nine years so there was all seven of us um, in a room and um Limbaugh's would have kicked up after the meeting. Um, and sort of, oh, well, hi, everybody. It's great to be here. And then immediately Jerry jumped in, you know, and it's like, right, okay. Um, I've, all all I I've ever did was want to help and you owe me an apology. And, you know, and it was, and I remembered why I left, you know, instantly. And I knew that it's not going to work with you, Jerry, unfortunately. It was such a shame, you know, because we were all there and, um, it, and and it, it could have worked, but I knew that, that, that it wasn't. So the rest of us decided, after this meeting had, had sort of dragged on and finally sort of fizzled out, that the 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 remaining six of us would um, would um, would work together, um, and that sort of became the, the the reformed specials in 2009. So even after 29 years,
2: you get in the room together. And it was, I guess, sort of like no time passed and not all in a good way.
1: <laughs> it's funny because I, I, I had seen Jerry a couple of times in the ensuing 29 years. Um, I'd, I'd worked with Brad in, and Neville in Special Beak. You know, um, I'd see Limval from time to time. So it wasn't like it, we were completely separate in those 29 years, but it was kind of like some of us were prepared. To bury hatchets, or if not bury them, at least put them in a cupboard somewhere. You know, but the, but that but that wasn't true of, of, of Jerry, who was like sort of straight in and, and straight to the jugular. Uh, you know, I I would have said hi, how you been? You know, but that you know really, uh, it's, it's a shame. I, I it's not a, it's not a subject that I like, Dirk talking about that much as it's it's painful. And I owe Jerry a lot. You know, if it wasn't for him forming this group, I wouldn't we wouldn't be talking today you know i wouldn't be in this lovely house i wouldn't have this you know this fantastic career you know i wouldn't have done a lot of that. But you you know um but way back in 2008 we were you know 30 years later 30 you know we would all grown up since I like to think we'd all grown up since um 1981 um but um you know so we were different people um so to sort of to to go back to to how it was back then was, was not very, you know what I mean? It was. It's, it's a shame. Uh, it's. It's not something that I'm. That you know, <clears throat> that I feel particularly proud of. But you have to. But you make choices, and so that was the choice that we made.
2: And you go on the road for this incredible, incredible thirtieth anniversary tour.
1: Yes, we um, we um, get the, the uh, services of um, Nikolai Nikolai Torp Larsen, who a Danish um, gentleman who's living in London, a session um, keyboard player, who's an amazing musician. So he he joins the band, and um, um, Jonathan Reed, who was the trumpet player in um, the Mark II, the Specials Mark Twos, um, he played trumpet, and his buddy Tim Smart um, played trombone. So we there we were. And, um, yeah, it was, it was amazing, you know, um, 30 years later, and, you know, grown men cry, it was it was. Incredible.
2: Yeah, I was, one, I was one of them. Did, did you wonder when you first started to rehearse how quickly it would all come back? And I'm guessing that it came back to you all pretty fast.
1: It came back really easily. I mean, those songs are ingrained in my DNA.
0: 2009,
2: the special.
1: You asked me to play a general public song and I'll struggle, but you asked me to play a special song. You know, I mean Brad and I would be sort of playing this song and we'd both be going, What happens next? It's the core and then we just play it without right. thinking without thinking about it. You know, it was cool. Plus the fact that we had played them in a I say in between the um in in between we you know, I, I played them in special beats and I played right. them in, in the in, in the nineties. Right. So it wasn't like you know I had to sort of you know, re-listen to the first and second specials album to remember how they went. You know?
2: oh, right, and then all of a sudden you've got the old fans, but you create a whole new generation of
1: fans. Yeah, um, I think <laughs> we had the children of the original fans, um, and then we had the younger brothers and sisters of the original. You know, the the kids who were too young to see us back in the day, but we'd become. Their favourite band through some somehow um, and um, and yeah and um, and it was it was it was phenomenal. It is phenomenal. I don't understand. Well, I do understand it because because we're ever so good. But and though that's those songs that that material, it just the, the test of time and, and it means an awful lot to an awful lot of people. It's not just pop music, you know. It's 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 got it's got the, the 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 look and that kind of social stance to it. Yeah, it yeah. is. But it's but cool.
2: amazing, not just Ghost Town, but so much of the music, you know, in a way, it's like society has stood still. And a lot of the challenges and the things that those songs were about 40-plus years ago are still very much relevant today.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, one of my one of my sound bites is injustice is timeless. You know, it's still, there, is, there are still things that are wrong you know and those songs still address them and you know and and they and they still have have meaning that was a that was a the, the big one of the big issues that we had to that we talked about when we decided to make another record which we did which we started in in 2018 you know it's like well, what, how are we going to do this what are we going to write songs about and um what, what, it's what not to do, like n- not to finger wag, or not to go into sort of polemic, but just to do what we did before, which was just sort of put situations out there and let the audience make up its own mind. And one of the things I liked about the specials and that we never actually wag- wagged our finger at anybody and said you shouldn't do this, you know, you you must not do this, but just just to, to just to explain a situation and then leave it open give the, the audience intelligence to, to decide for themselves. And, and I think the new record, and this is where I'll just be an unabashed fan,
2: you know, it, it almost made you cry because you retained what you always had, which was your finger on the pulse of culture. And yeah, that I'm, you were able to do that with the new record was amazing.
1: Yeah, I, I, thank you. I, I mean, I I'm, was I'm very, very pleased. But, it, you know, the, the, all, the, all the signs were, were were good. And the material was great. It was and I, You know, I'm really proud of it. all those songs yeah, on that yeah. one. Right?
2: Absolutely yeah. fantastic. So now we've got, we're down to three. We're down to you, Terry That's and Lindbom. That's right. That's
1: uh, right. Um, and, Brad died in 2015. That was such a shock. I mean, we, we, um, we, it, we, got to the stage where there were, the, there were four of us and we were the, the remaining four that were all facing the same way and we talked about making a record or whatever. Um, but then Brad died and that sort of put that on hold for a, a year and a half. So yes, and, and now it's, it's, um, it, it's three. But we've surrounded ourselves with amazing musicians. You know, so in a way, we can't just like what Miles Davis did, wasn't it? So we can't help be but good. I mean, Kenrick, Kenrick Rowe, who plays drums for us, is amazing. He was in Aswad. He he just when he before he joined us, he'd come off the road. He'd spent two years on the, on tour with P. J. Harvey. I mean, he he's a phenomenal drummer. Um, Steve Craddock plays guitar. Um, right. He's part uh, of Ocean, ocean Colour Scene and, and Paul Weller. You know, and again, a phenomenal musician, along with Nikolai and. Um, and and the, the the horn guys. So yeah, it's like we we can't fail really with those guys. Fabulous. And Horace, before I let you go, I'd love to talk
2: a little about what you're doing now. Your stuff on Instagram, on Horace Panther Art, is so brilliant. Talk Thank about you. what talk about what you're doing now. Oof. Well, what have been doing?
1: Well, there's no there's no music to play, so I'm I'm going to be doing some painting. I mean. When um, so, 2009, we had a lot of down. You know, when we realized that that this that, that the reform specials had had legs and was going to continue, um, I had a you know quite a bit of time between tours. So I just started painting again. And one day, my wife uh, came in um, from shopping, and I'd done all these paintings. And she goes, Horace, these are great. We we should sell these. So that's what we've been doing. Um, So when I haven't been sort of um, jumping off drum rises, I've been um, painting pictures. So I I, I started with this sort of, I don't know, um, naive pictures of robots, but then progressed to painting pictures of recording of um, studio cassettes, the audio cassette, which is great. I love pop art. So that was my, the, the cassette was my soup can, if you like. So we did that. But then, um go visiting America and taking lots of photos of diners and um, some hotel signs and stuff like that, I started painting a lot of you know Americans like America still holds you know this wonderful you know, place in 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 my heart and i, I, I just i really like like the place um, and um so i 've been painting pictures of america um various i don 't know i think my old cafes a lot of people send me pictures. Uh, no. There's uh, um, some, I have some friends in Los Angeles, one of which is who's like, uh, her job seems to be to uh, take photos of the, the, all the places that are being knocked down. Horace, you have to you know, commemorate these, these, these places because they're, they're, they're pulling them down. So all these old diners and stuff. So I, I, that's what I've been doing. Um, I tripped to Japan uh, a couple of years ago, and, and I love um, the vending machines that they have on the streets. So I try really colorful and they're full of all these bonkers drinks. So I just took lots of photos of them and, and I've, um, I've done some paintings of them. So it's pop art. It's, you know, the, the elevation of the mundane, the things that you normally go past and not pay any attention to. I'll paint a picture of that and um, and make it beautiful. So, yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing.
2: Uh, great. All right. Well, listen, this was uh, absolute joy to speak to you. And uh, um, I'm excited to hear you'll be back. So uh, hopefully they will be, I'll come see you in the UK, but... Hopefully there'll be some U.S. dates too.
1: Okay, yeah. From your lips to God's ears, as they say, yes. Thank you very much for listening. And for more content just like this, visit advertisingweek360.com. Production on this episode was by Jack Hirschman and Brendan Porter. And original music was by Ian Levy.